Corinthians 5, 9, and Paul uh, was writing about his goal in life. He said, he said, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. And I want to tell you this, uh, and I'm going to try to just talk to you more than get scream at you. I get kind of wound up in a lot of areas of life, but um, any Christian, whether they have a lot of Bible knowledge or a little, have a lot of intellect or a little, have a great background in a Christian family or no background at all, um, any Christian who has the aim, the goal, the desire to please God, um, it's going to work out. They're going to do okay. They might have some stumbles along their way, but um, things are going to work out. Earlier in, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul's talking about this isn't all there is. There's something much, much greater uh, beyond. There's, there's, there's a heavenly home, and this, this earthly tabernacle is temporary. So he goes into you know, talking about, again, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust, so are are well known to your consciences. And Paul says he he wants to please God because he he knows that he's going to one day stand before him. And uh, people have a lot of ambitions in this world, a lot of desires and dreams, and it's it's interesting to, to see what people put up on social media, um, what they're aiming for, what they're shooting for. You can kind of find out a lot about what um, make people tick. And uh, I'm going to make a statement. You can agree or disagree, but chew on it. What really determines whether you are a saint or a sinner is what your ambition is in life what your goal is, what your desire is. Now, Pastor Ben and Isaac went out to eastern Washington. And what were they called? What do we call them while they were out in eastern Washington? Hunters. Now, did they get any, any game when they were in eastern Washington? We, we still called them hunters, right? Because what was their aim? They wanted to kill something. Um, my son is a pretty good golfer. I've golfed maybe seven holes in my life. But if we went out golfing together, we would, we would call ourselves golfers, even though his score would be half of mine or, more, or probably less than half of mine. Um, what determines whether you are a saint or a sinner is your goal in life. If my fundamental goal is to please God, it's evidence that Christ is working in my life, that he's done a work of salvation. If my fundamental goal is something else, or at least if, if my, my aim is not to please God, I, I, I might be very religious. I might have a lot of good patterns in my life. You know, you can have a lot of good patterns in your life and, and be very impressive to even Christian people without really having the aim to please Christ. Because there, there's a lot of reasons we can do the things that we do. There's a lot of reasons that we can do it. But let's look at somebody um, who we know pleased God. And we know this based on a lot of different evidence. Turn to, to Matthew 3. 
And I'm going to be kind of camping out today in the first 30 years of Jesus' life. We don't know a ton about it, but we do know some things, and there's some clues in there. Because in, in Matthew 3, Matthew 3, in verse 17, there's a, a voice from heaven. And who's the only voice that knows how to speak out of heaven? And he said, yeah, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God was saying that he was pleased with his son, Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but that hits me. That grips me. And I asked the question, God, can you say that about me? Beloved son. Now, any, any parent out there, unless you're just a horrible parent, loves your children, right? You love them. You please. I mean, I, my little girl, I sometimes just stare at her. I just stare. I mean, and you guys stare at your granddaughter. I know that. I know that, Lens. I've seen you. If you're a parent, you love your child no matter what, but you may or may not be pleased with their life. You may or may not be, be pleased. Um, and that question being, is God pleased with our life? Now, some parents um, play, play favorites and might just naturally like one child, and that one child can do no wrong in their eyes, and the other one might do the same exact thing, but but God's not like that. The Bible says is that he is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. And I'm, I'm kind of proof text in here, but follow my drift. Romans 8.29 says Christ is, is our elder brother, our, our elder brother, right? He's our older brother. He rose from the grave and he said, go tell my brothers brothers, right? We're, we're a family of God. And when, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we became part of his family. Okay? So we got some friends here in Lewis County that um, they had three of their own, and they adopted two boys from Haiti. Okay? Guess what? Those two boys have the same last name. And in the eyes of the law, they are a part of the Murky family. Okay? They are part of the, the Murky family. I want you to just think about this. The Bible says, as he is, as he is, that's Christ, so are we in the world. He said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I, I just want to think about this. This kind of goes back to the title of my message. You can live a life well-pleasing to God if you will do the same things. Now, God already loves you, okay? And, and we cannot earn. I, I appreciate Pastor Ben harping on this so much. We do not make ourselves acceptable to God by meeting a certain things, all right? We, we cannot earn our salvation in any way, but um, some of us out here, our goal in life isn't just to get into heaven. We want to actually serve God in this life. We want to be saved from maybe the kind of one of the root things of sin, which is just being selfish. And it's all about me and what I want. Some of us want to serve God. And I want to tell you, for those of us in this room that want to serve God, you can live a life well-pleasing to God. There is a way. So let's look at the first 30 years of Jesus' life. 
Because when that phrase was said about Jesus, how many sermons had he preached that we know of? How many miracles? How many demons had he cast out? How much traveling had he done? Okay, maybe he, he took a trip to Egypt as a baby. Wasn't exactly like, yeah. How many people had he met? He lived in a, in a little town, Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Let's get some windows into his life, and some of these are going to be familiar. But think about this. Remember, God says he's well pleased with his son. This is before he'd even gone into the wilderness and overcome temptation. Remember, remember the devil throws those things at him? So check it out. Luke 2 and, and verse 41. We'll read a few verses here. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposed him to have been in the company in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they turned, returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. You know this story well. You know, when I was a, a kid um, in Portland, our church had a drive through thing um, from scenes from the life of Christ. And I got to be Jesus in the temple, you know, sitting there, you know, I was decked out and uh, I had to pose in this position. But you know that story. Um, uh, there was a mix up and uh, a day and a half possibly to get there. And uh, finally they, they find him. So maybe three days later and uh, they found him, they found him you know, in his father's house. And he's talking to people and he's talking to these religious leaders and, and they were amazed at his life. And here he is, 12 years old. What's the, who's the closest person to 12 over here? All right, all right. So at 12 years old, these people were amazed at his life and he had a tremendous knowledge of scripture. He wouldn't have had, um, well, their version of a Bible in the home. Um, nobody would have had their own copy. Um, so he didn't have one in the home, and um, we have it so much easier now. I mean, how, most of us have Bibles on our phones now. Um, but it's amazing, it's amazing our ability when we really want something to gain information. You know, you hear about, about these uh, musicians who maybe were on a, just a total piece of junk instrument, but they had such a desire to become a good guitar player or, or a trumpet player or whatever, that they just, they found a way to get good and good even before they had the great instrument. And I just see that young Jesus, um, oh, Rabbi, could you, could you open up that scroll and just read me that, re read me that portion of the Psalms, the Proverbs, 
and, 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 and he's not just learning it, but he's, he's ruminating it. And there's sometimes a difference between memorizing Scripture and having that Scripture kind of built into who you are, where you just really embodied it. And Jesus Christ, at, at 12 years of age, he, he had that understanding. He knew how to even ask the right questions. Sometimes the questions you ask uh, tell a lot about your knowledge and understanding of a subject. And I want to tell you this, that um, the Bible is given to us so that we can know God. And there's a guy at our church in Woodburn that, I mean, he was like a machine. I mean, almost any verse in the Bible he kind of, he just was so sharp. And he was like that with all kinds of subject. But you don't need a, sh- a sharp mind to have an understanding of God's word. You know what you need? You need a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will they'll see God. This desire that, that Jesus had and this, this purity of heart, he wasn't trying to get a sticker. I would get a sticker when I memorized scripture in Sunday school. His desire was to know the Father, and that desire pushed him. You, you know, it's, it's funny, the things that we love, we, we find that time. We squeeze it in. And, and I just see the young Jesus thinking about this. Oh, he, was, he came in the flesh, just like us. He, he was just, just like us. The same temptations, desires, feelings, but, but he, he was tuned towards the things of God, and that, that desire led him to get a grasp of Scripture, even at a very young age. If you want God to be pleased with you, consider making a little sacrifice to know Him better. And I want to ask you this, was Jesus studying because He wanted to be ready to go for Bible study night? Was He studying because so, He had to teach Sunday school, so I better cram? No. He had no ministry that we know of at that time, but He wanted to to search that scripture out so he could know God. Yeah, amen. Jesus wanted to know God. Second thing, he says, uh, I had to be about my father's, I had, I had to be in my father's house. Some versions say I had to be about my father's business. He was interested in, in his father's business. Didn't you know you'd find me at the ball field? Didn't you know you'd find me at the chariot races? no. He was interested in the things that his father was up to. It's hard to, it's hard to teach your children to love things that you don't love. <laughs> you know, I don't know how my son got into golf because I don't love golf. But I've, I've kind of influenced him to like gospel music. I've influenced him to like John Wayne movies. Influenced him to, in ways and... and uh, it comes natural to teach our children to love the things that we love. Uh, think of fishing, trips to Disneyland, baseball, whatever our hobby or thing that we enjoy. And um, it's not wrong to teach our children. In fact, I think it's kind of a neat thing when families kind of have their little unique culture about them, like their style or their, their kind of brand or this is how we do things. And... Um, I, I think as parents in here, and I know a lot of you guys have grown children, I think we need to be careful the interest that we cultivate in our child um, because they're just like a sponge. And sometimes those patterns that we set in motion, um, they, can, they can change, but they're not easy to change. 
And, and one of the reasons why we try to control electronics to some, to some extent, um, it, it takes a little bit more effort to grasp this than something that's flashing things in my face constantly, stimulation. And uh, it's, it's a good idea to be careful what we cultivate, but Christ cultivated and Mary and Joseph uh, cultivated in Jesus a desire to know about the business of his father in heaven. A good son cares about the family business. A foolish son is only interested in frivolous things. It starts with a longing. I want to please the father and our desire to please the father makes us interested in the work of the Lord. I think, you know, just, just um, putting this into context today, what is the work of the Lord? What does God want to accomplish in this work? You think of, of mission work, and you think of, 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 of God's glory going to the ages. You think of, of teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And there's something that's pleasing to God, I believe, in a person that is interested in what he's doing. It ought to be interesting to us what's happening with missions. What's happening? You know, how's the state of the church in America? Christ was like that, even at a young age, 12 years of old. Here, here's another thing in there. Verse, uh, verse 51 says, He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Submission. Submission. As he was in submission, he increased he increased in favor with God. I've, I've mentioned this a lot in our Sunday school class back when we had it. Um, but the way to authority is, is submission. God's ways are not our ways. Rebellion, the Bible says, is as the sin of, of witchcraft. Failure to submit to God's authority, in a sense, was one of those original sins in the garden, right? I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. Rebellion, rebellion, rebellion. It causes problems. The Bible says that Jesus was in subjection to those that God put in authority over him. Anybody in here have to submit to an imperfect boss at work? Hey. <laughs> Why do you do it? Why do you do it? Why do you, okay, I see, those, I see those hand signals, brother. Respecting authority. Do we respect our pastor as we ought to? Not just face to face, but behind his back and in our attitude towards him. There was a lady when I was down in Woodburn, we had, a, we had three people in our church turn 100 within a month of each other. It's just crazy. Actually, this lady just turned 105 last month. She's still going strong. Um, I did this thing and I interviewed them all and, and put it up on the screen because two of them were in assisted living at that time and didn't, anyways, it was fun. I interviewed her though. She's been in the same congregation since the 30s. Isn't that amazing? And I said, Sis, sisters, we call her Sister Lucille or Sister Chappelle. Um, tell me about the pastors you've had in your life. I mean, wh which one really just stands out as such a blessing? And she said, oh, BJ, Every one of the pastors has been absolutely wonderful. Can I tell you something? 
That statement says a lot more about Sister Lucille Chappelle than it does any of those pastors. That says a lot more about her than it says them. Because not all those pastors were great pastors. In fact, one of them ended up spending time in jail later on. You see that principle of submission to authority? I'm going to say this to the few young people in here. Do you honor your parents? Uh, Do you honor your parents? Uh, Not just when they're face to face, but behind their back. God values submission. God values honor. And we are commanded to honor those in authority over us. And that's in the church. That's in civic life. Obviously, there's a limit to that. And our church is an example of that. And when, when boundaries are exceeded, you know, and, and children, we, you're never to obey an order by an earthly authority to sin. That, that's not okay. That's where we have to, you know, back off. And there's limits to these authorities, but as a style of life and a position, um, God values submission. God values respect. And I'll say this, just as a, as a former pastor and a member of the church, it's better to leave a church. And I'd say leave quietly and don't make a big fuss and blow the place up than to have a mm, spirit towards the pastor or leadership. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think we bring judgment on ourselves. It does not please God um, to disrespect um, authority in our life. Our, t- our culture and cultures us to have a problem with people, uh, pastors, teachers. How about police officers these days? Um, elected leaders, I'm not saying I always agree with them, but respect and honor and obedience where it doesn't conflict the word of God. A couple more statements on that. God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Um, Do you, do I want to be a man that God can say I'm pleased? Um, God is not pleased with those that disrespect their leaders. Um, I was thinking about this too. Uh, Jesus at age 12 wowed all the religious leaders. From age 12 to 30, Jesus going to the synagogue, right? And he's listening to these boring sermons. He knew a lot more than they did. Yet he's sitting there. Okay, yeah, there's some things I can learn. Yeah. Sitting there under these guys, half, probably half of them were world-class hypocrites. Yet Jesus still honored them. And he still took what he can. And just think about that. And, and remember that. Be a person who honors. God cannot bless a man who doesn't respect authority. Can you imagine Jesus talking trash about Joseph and Mary behind their back? I can't either. I wrote this down. Sometimes God cannot commit much spiritual power to people because they don't have a submissive spirit. Yeah. If you want God to back you up, the key piece is submission. A police officer that doesn't submit to the law is a rogue police officer, right? And he can't be entrusted to enforce the law. All right, I'm saying enough about that. Um, I'm going to say one thing. If you're in a situation where you're very frustrated with um, submission in your life, maybe God's given it to you as an education or a test to see if he can entrust um, certain things to you. Um, So just embrace it, and God will give you the grace. Here's my last thing. Um, there's probably more, but these, actually this fourth one is just one that dawned on me 
probably in the last month. Um, obedience over style points. Obedience over how it looks to other people. Um, if you go back to um, where we were uh, before in Matthew 3, um, it says, then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, that's John the Baptist, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Um, I imagine that scene there. Some of you guys been to the Holy Lands before? And the Jordan's not the... I always imagine it's this huge river as a kid, and I guess it is a flood stage, but it's pretty small, isn't it? So I imagine these people lining up to get baptized. But somehow I missed this other part. You know, John the Baptist, his message, what he preached, repent, 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 get right, get right. And some that heard that message, they were kind of cut to heart. I, I really believe, this is just a theory, many of the people that responded to the ministry of Jesus Christ were the people who had already repented of their known sins before. Because he's, remember, he's preparing the way. And sometimes there's an aspect to walking in the light that you have. God won't give you more light if you're not walking in the light you already have. But he's, he's bringing out this message, and people are lined up to get baptized. But I didn't see this other part before. Confess their sin out loud. I'm an adulterer. I'm a thief. I'm trying to think of other sins. I blasphemed God's name when I hit my thumb with the hammer. These people going, do you think that they whispered in John? Um, John, don't tell anybody. But you think John would go for that? Being in that very line, we don't have like the old school altars, but I remember as a kid, we had altar calls all the time. And if somebody came forward, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, it's about time that guy got right. <laughs> Not always. Actually, sometimes I was up there. Why did Jesus get in that line? Now I can see the Pharisees off in the hills. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Now they weren't against Jesus yet because he hadn't said anything. Jesus gets in that line. You want to talk about an opportunity to be misunderstood. What sin did Jesus have to confess? Zero. Zero. When God, oh, I'm going to say this, Jesus was willing to look bad to obey the Father. When, at, when God asks you to do something and you are worried what people will think, so you don't do it, that's not pleasing to the Father. We're image managers more than we think. We are. We're, we're, we're more sensitive sometimes to what other people think than what God thinks. And just, just thinking on this and ruminating, again, this is just my opinion or a thought. You know, you can weigh this out, but it, it could be that a piece of Jesus getting baptized, because remember, this is a baptism of repentance, and I can't, you're fulfilling all righteousness and all that, but it could go along with John 6, 38, that Jesus said, I came not to do my will, but the will of, of him who sent me. I give myself fully to God, and in, in giving myself fully to God, I'm giving my reputation to him. Let people think what they think. Let people think that my parents weren't married when, when I was born, and, and uh, so I was a, a product of, of, uh, of uh, fornication. Let people think what they will. I came not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Christ didn't 
live for self. He laid down his life constantly. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about the Father. You see that even in going up and touching the leper. This kind of has a little relevance in our day, right? Oh, what if anything could happen to me? I mean, I'm not advocating being stupid, but, you know, Christ, it was, you know, this self-preservation instinct at all costs. You know, Christ says, okay, what does the Father want? All right, I'm going to go touch that leper. We'll just let the chips fall where they may. Okay, I'm going to say this thing. All these guys are going to hate me. All right, I'm going to say it. By the way, Jesus wasn't just one of those guys that some people enjoy saying controversial things or stirring. I, I don't see Jesus as that, that he was, he was a man of truth and righteousness. And uh, wow, what an example. Willingness to obey God than have style points. The Bible says that Christ was tempted in every way, yet sinned not. It says he, he prayed hard with loud cries. It's very difficult to overcome sin. Christ, for 30 years, had overcome. Um, by the way, the spirit of the Antichrist, and according to 1 John, is to deny that Jesus came in the flesh. We think of heretics as those saying that Jesus wasn't fully God. Remember, he was fully God, but he was fully human too. So don't put Jesus up there and, oh, I could never do that. You know, Christ came to be our example. Obviously, we'll, we'll, never, we'll never do it like he did it, but he came to be our forerunner. He came to show us the way, and if, if it is our aim and our heart's desire to please God, we can please God too. We can grow in these areas. We can aim and and more and more as time gets by be that person whose life is pleasing to God and God looks down and he's a father and as a father it's not to me so much where my kids at right now but what he wants to be and where he's changing and the direction he's going I could have a kid that, that that is at a really high point but if he's going backwards I'm not pleased I want to see him go forward and be all that God wants I tell you, we tend to be so awed by public things and things that people know about. And, and, and people like me who might get up on a stage and say a word or, or sing a song or have a talent or whatever. I want to tell you this. The Bible says many who are first will be last. Some of the people that you think in this room are the best Christians um, it says many, it doesn't say all. Many who are first will be last, and some might not be in heaven at all. You know why? Because man looks on the outside, and God looks at what? Yeah, and he can see better. By the way, be really careful to judge someone else's heart. You can judge their actions, and we're supposed to judge other people's actions, but we're not supposed to judge their heart and motives. And there might be somebody who, who we're not very impressed with, but God's impressed because their heart is right before God. God sees those whose ambitions are to please God. God sees what's going on. He sees those who are faithful in little things and who aren't desiring to get honor or studying the Bible so they can be impressive in a Bible study. By the way, I've done that. He sees those who are generally interested in the work of the Father, not to just appear interested in missions, by the way, in this church setting, there's different things that are honored than out in the world, and that's good. 
But it doesn't impress God when we try to project a certain thing. God wants to see it be real in our life. God sees those who from the heart are living in submission and honor to those in authority. And God sees those who are willing to do what he wants and do his will, even if it makes them look bad, even if it kind of makes things awkward, even if it's costly or requires sacrifice. And uh, I ask this rhetorically because it is, you know, down to it. It's, it's, it's between us and God. But um, is that you? Does God, when he looks down in your life, now God already loves you. You know that. And you have to believe that by faith. He does. He loves you. He's a father. Some of you out here love your rebellious kids who are, who are, are turned around. You still love them. But, but can God say, man, I'm pleased I'm pleased with my child. I'm well pleased. God help us to value what you value. Just a, uh, a note of encouragement to you. Um, one of the things that, you know, again, Christ, he came in the flesh, okay? He did it in a human body like us, although he was fully God. Um, God gives grace to the humble. There's a spiritual law that God's against the proud. God is, if you're proud, if I'm proud, God is going to oppose us. He's going to work against us, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace, and Jesus was constantly humbling himself. He was always humble. He never exalted himself. He washed uh, the feet of his disciples, and um, yeah, a life well-pleasing to God. That, that should be the central aim uh, for any child of God. Not getting to heaven, not getting all those other things, but uh, pleasing to God. And, and I believe that by God's grace, that is a possibility for all of us. If we will aim for that, and if we will humble ourselves and know that we can't do it without him. Uh, so anyways, let's stand. Um, I think I've said enough about that. And uh, let's have a word of prayer. Let's have a word of prayer. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we, um, we, we honor you tonight. We desire to honor you. And um, I'm stirred in, in just um, saying these words. Um, God, uh, just do a work in our heart uh, that we may be pleasing to you. And God, let us go forward. Let's go, let, let us press on to perfection, as the Bible says. Press, press toward it. Press toward that beautiful goal. God, let our aim be uh, to be pleasing to you in all things. God, remind us um, daily, if necessary, that this world is in all its glory is fading away, but the man that does the will of God abideth forever. Um, God, I thank you. We're, we're blessed to, to be in a wonderful area, a wonderful church family. Uh, we have so much going for us. We thank you that we have access to your word, access to your Holy Spirit, and help us, God, now to not, not be hearers only of your word, but to be doers. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.